0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio.
1: And online at SBNationLive.com.
0: From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, before we get started, I've got a complaint.
1: Doesn't that do replay, Tom Brady or Roger Goodell? Uh-uh. This is a non-football issue one that anyone who goes to grocery stores can relate to, and it goes like this. What in the world is up with people leaving their shopping carts in parking lots? I mean, you can't walk 10 yards and put them in areas marked with a goose. You've probably seen it. What's up with
2: that? Yeah, I'm with you. I've wheeled more than my share of carts out of the parking lot back into the store when I've gone to shop. It's particularly galling when someone leaves a cart in the parking lot the wind starts and a cart. The cart starts rolling and it rams in the side of a car. Now <laughs> yeah, what? That's right. Now what? You got <laughs> right. you got a cart that's banged into your door and there's there's no there's no accountability. This is that's terrible, lazy. Terrible, lazy. And throw in any, any adjective you want.
1: <laughs> well, let me ask you this think Ronnie would be one of those people that I curse every Tuesday morning at ShopRite when the cart's going into the side of my car? Ron Borges would be one of those guys.
2: No, I think Ron just pick up the cart, throw it in the trunk, take it home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or throw it at the guy who left it there. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't get it. Kind of like, you know what, I just don't get why it took Ty Law so long to get to Canton. Of course, then our Ron Borges came to the rescue. And now, well, now Ty is our fourth co-host back for his, what is it, Gooseman, fifth time? Fifth? <laughs> 15th, I, I think. <laughs> Maybe 15th. Um, uh, he's going to talk about having his bronze bust done for Canton. Goose, you have yours done? You're in class of 2004. You have yours done?
2: I, I think maybe we should get Ron to work on Ken Riley. He's got a <laughs> dozen more interceptions than in law. His weight is already 26 years longer than that of law. When Ken Riley gets a bust done, I'll get a bust done. Well,
1: uh, when Ron and I get ours done at the Two Men in Hats Hall of Fame. Uh, maybe we can talk about Ken <laughs> Riley. Okay, also joining us is Chris Gall from Indianapolis. He's here to talk about the future of the Combine there, as well as our frequent guest, I guess this would be our fifth host, and a fellow historian John Turney, Pro Football Journal, and Gooseman. Um, why in the world would Lee consider moving the Combine from Indy? I mean, it's worked so well there for so many years. I mean, if it ain't broke, you don't fix it, right?
2: Yeah, Indy's the best place for it, but not the best place if you want to make money. And it's in a it's in dead of winter up there. It's, it's a small town. They need flash. LA yeah. gives them flash.
1: Yeah, don't move. But you know what, Goose? We're going to move. We're moving to commercial right now. This is the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: The Quick shout out to former Chargers and Patriots safety and friend of the show—that would be Rodney Harrison, who was just elected to the Patriots Hall of Fame, beating out finalists Richard Seymour and Mike Vrabel. And Ron, I saw where Rodney said something about. Uh, it was kind of shocking to me because he said Seymour and Vrabel had longer stays in New England. And I'll be honest with you, kind of shocking to me too. How about you?
2: Uh, not
3: really. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, both Seymour and, and Vrabel, quote unquote, left, which is the cardinal sin of the idiots who now are Patriot fans. Uh, the fact that both were traded and uh, were stand-up guys in the locker room who, who maybe didn't always buy into the, some of the way uh, the Patriots did their uh, business uh, outside the lines uh, made them enemies of the state in some people's opinion. I mean, hell, this is a town where Bill Parcells can't even get on the ballot anymore. It's it's it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so no knock on Roddy, but you know Seymour uh, likely gets into the Pro Football Hall of Fame before he gets into the Patriots Hall of Fame.
1: You said those idiots who are Patriots fans? Are you calling me an idiot? Well... You know, monkey see, monkey do. Yeah, you are. You always have. Anyway, uh, congratulations to Rodney Harrison. And maybe we can get him on the show next week, Ron, huh? Yeah, let's
2: take a shot. Yeah.
1: So um, someone else who deserves to be mentioned is another friend of the show former Pittsburgh linebacker Ryan Shazier. Did you guys see where he danced at his wedding? I mean, the video was great. It was like 18 months after he suffered that paralyzing back injury. I mean, talk about upsets, because I never, ever saw that happening.
2: Well, I doubt anyone did. You know, I'm not sure Shazier could have envisioned that day. But, you know, football is such a violent game. we can now pencil in Shazier as a survivor.
1: Yeah, and and Ron, it gives you some insight, I think, into what made him such an outstanding player. I mean, it looks like there's really nothing he believes he can't do, even when the odds are stacked against him.
3: Well, you're right. I mean, obviously the fact that he was a highly trained athlete and superbly fit uh, has had something to do with his recovery and uh, and his will uh, is clear and his mental strength and work ethic are obvious. And he's also, quite frankly, had some luck, which I'm sure he's the first to... uh, to, uh, to acknowledge, you know, I mean, it could have gone the other way, uh, yep. but thankfully it did not, and uh, uh, hopefully he's going to at least uh, be able to live a normal life.
1: I agree with you. Anyway, congratulations to Ryan Shazier, too. It's a pretty remarkable story. Uh, One other thing I want to mention, the latest spring football league, the XFL. um, They just announced their first season, which is going to be the 2020 season. It's going to be carried on, like, Goose looks like every network, but Animal Planet. I mean, there's ABC, Fox. They're going to have it. So ESPN, ESPN2, FS1, FS2. You like that, Goose? Or would you rather watch Stanley Cup hockey this time of year?
2: There is no better sports drama than the Stanley Cup playoffs, where upsets are often overtime games are the rule rather than the exception. But I'll give the XFL credit to survive. Any league in any sport needs those TV deals. To have the almighty dollar of all those networks behind this league gives the XFL a chance to survive. You know, I always felt there was room on the sporting calendar for spring football. You know, maybe the XFL finally is the answer. There are a lot of networks betting on it.
4: That's the thing with
1: Aaron Rodgers. Is ready with his twice monthly, or just a bogus rant, doesn't have to go spring, he goes all year round, all year round football, and guaranteed, this one has nothing to do with the Boston Bruins or the Stanley Cup, because the Bruins are still alive in the playoffs, ugh, the Ron, what does it have to do with, what does it got, what do you got?
3: Well, this week I got the Mercurial wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, declared this week he was going to, quote, turn the Browns into the new Patriots, unquote. The proof that that is bogus is the manner in which he said it. New England has won six Super Bowls and nine AFC titles in the last 19 years. They've been in the last eight straight conference championship games for many reasons. But the biggest one is that nobody opens their mouth. No one guy says he's going to do anything. The team does it, which is why Beckham's assertion is both bogus and tone deaf. Od- Odell Beckham declared that he could win, quote, multiple Super Bowls, unquote, in Cleveland with a team that in 2016, 2017 failed to win multiple games. In fact, they won double-digit games only once in the past 21 years. And guess when they won uh, their last playoff game? 25 years ago. Multiple Super Bowls? How about one quarter of playoffs? Optimism in the face of harsh reality is fine. But Odell Beckham misses the point of how the Patriots won all those Super Bowls. They were won by the individual subjugating himself to the team. They were won by people understanding no player, or coach for that matter, wins the Super Bowl. The team wins the Super Bowl. We had proof of that just last week when Chris Johnson was a guest on our show, as you guys will recall. And what He said Super Bowl victory should not be a factor when electing someone to the Hall of Fame. His His argument is he rushed for over 2,000 yards one season and didn't play in the playoffs. Wasn't his fault. That wasn't bogus. That was the truth. As long as Odell Beckham believes his team's success is centered around his success, he will not be turning that team into the next Patriots, because that's not how it's done. New England, you may recall, had a receiver one year who may have had the most impressive season in football history. That was Randy Moss in 2007. 23 touchdowns. They didn't win. In his three full seasons in New England, he scored 47 touchdowns. They never won a championship. Beckham also claimed his new quarterback, Baker Mayfield, is, quote, Brett Favre. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Well, Maybe, but perhaps Odell should check the record, but for all five did for the flawed teams he led in Green Bay, he won only one Super Bowl. That's because winning in football is seldom about you, and winning championships is all about we, not me. Only one of those words seems to be in Odell Beckham's dictionary,
2: the wrong one. Ron, I was at that, I was at that playoff game. Bill Belichick beat Bill Parcells. That <laughs> last Browns playoff game.
3: Yeah, I was at that. Uh, I was at that game too. You, I guess you could argue that, but in the end, the players got to make plays, and the coaches yeah. got to coach. And you know, no one guy ever wins that uh, uh, a football game. It's just not possible. You know, you can do it in some games. A guy can go off in basketball, or the goalie can you know, can just be you know making saves on. But football's not like that, as you guys know. It takes everybody, and that's the one thing the Patriots have done better than anybody else. You know, uh, one week. Troy Brown's playing wide receiver. Next week he's playing defensive back. Next week he's on. The, he's the gunner. Uh, you know every every guy they got, with the exception of the quarterback. You know, is is in that uh, situation all the time. And you have never heard, uh, to the best of my knowledge, uh, Patriots in the last 19 years after with all this winning, coming out and saying what they're going to do next year, because they know that they don't know what they're going to do next year except work their asses off.
1: I thought your point about uh, Baker Mayfield was dead on. Uh, you don't often hear me say that to you, Ron. No, yes, was. I can Let me write down the date and time. <laughs> That's right, because that. I'm one of those idiots, all right? One of those <laughs> idiots. Um, but um, you, you, to me, if you want to be the next New England Patriots, you're not looking for another Brett Favre. You're looking for the next Tom Brady. And If you don't have Tom Brady, you're not going to be another New England Patriots. Isn't it pretty simple? I mean, I understand this about the team game, but... You better have number twelve. You don't have number twelve, you ain't gonna be the next New England Patriots.
3: Well, no, that you, you, you know, you, well, obviously you're right. Quarterback's the most important position in the game. Having said that, their first three Super Bowls were not won by their quarterback. They were won just in in several cases despite their quarterback, who was a young guy, He's just sort of managing things, and and you know he passed for 148 yards, and everyone forgets he set up a 48-yard field goal to win the Super Bowl, not a 28-yard field goal. You no, know, those early teams won with defense, and they won with defense uh, played by guys willing to not to sacrifice their individual statistics, like uh, Richard Seymour did. He could have had 15 sacks a year for a number of years, but that wasn't his job. He didn't complain about it. He did his other job. Other guys made plays. He became uh, still became uh, considered a great player. Why? Because everybody knew he was the anchor of a great defense. So that's how you win, and that's what Beckham and guys
2: like him don't get about it, how this has come about, and they're never going to get it. I don't believe Hey, Ron, Jerry Rice is considered the greatest receiver ever. He won five Super Bowls with two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, uh, Montana and Young. How many Super Bowls could you envision the Bronze winning if you dropped Rice in his prime into Cleveland today?
3: <laughs> None! <laughs> they're, not, they're not good enough. You know, I mean, look, Jerry Rice, arguably the greatest receiver in football, but it's, again, it's... Uh, you know, look, the Cleveland Browns had Jim Brown, the greatest runner ever lived. They won one championship. You know, I mean, it's not that. It's the beauty of the game. It's what I like about the game. Everybody's success it hinges on the next guy's success. I can't make this block if you don't uh, help me here. I can't make this run if you don't do this. I can't get open if this guy doesn't do that. Everything's about the other ten guys, and and that's what Beckham doesn't doesn't seem to get. And you would think at this point he'd figure it out, but uh, you know, clearly he has not figured it out.
1: But essentially, Ron, what you're telling us is your mom and dad were right when they told you, football's a team game. It's not a track meet or a tennis match. It's a team game. Right. To me, there's no better proof than the Patriots or the Orioles teams that you covered in the 80s. No,
3: you're exactly right. You know, I used to tell my hockey team uh, this year, as things would go, which is another uh, uh, essence of a team game, uh, you know, I used to tell them, uh, are we playing golf or are we playing hockey? You want to play golf? You want to play by yourself? You want to be a star? Go play golf. We don't play golf. We play hockey, and it's the same in football. You know, Beckham wants to play golf in shoulder pads.
1: Thanks, Ron. Now catch your breath. We're going to break. We're not going to play golf. We're going to break. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. You know, as far as the winning goes...
4: It's, it's actually very, it's bittersweet, uh, I'd be lying if I I'd said it was any different. I mean, I, I'd like, you know, you always want to win with a, with a clean trip and have every, everybody recognize uh, the horse as the very good horse and the, the great athlete that he is. Uh, I think due to the disqualification probably some of that is diminished.
1: Well that was Bill Mott, and if you hadn't heard of him before last weekend, I think you probably have by now, that's because he's the trainer of Country House, who is a sixty-five to one long shot that last weekend won the Kentucky Derby, but only only after the winner, maximum security, was disqualified. For first time that's happened in the history of the Kentucky Derby. Now, my interest here, guys, is not so much in the race itself, but in how it was judged, and that's by replay. To me, this is another example of where I think we've lost touch with reality. Um, You know, to me, replay should be used as an officiating tool for egregious mistakes like that Rams-Saints game. Otherwise, to me, you either see it or you don't. I mean, this idea of breaking down things frame by frame is exactly what had people fed up with the NFL. And and remember when we had uh, Mike Pereira in here? He goes, you can't do it like that. It's in real time. You don't break it down by milliseconds and milliseconds. And and, and you just... I think it's what had people fed up with the NFL a couple of seasons ago until it decided that, well, you know, maybe you should just use the Potter-Stewart idea for catches. And, you know, you say you, you know one when you see one, and, and that's what's happened. But I just hate, Goose, to see an event like the Kentucky Derby decided by replay. How about you?
2: Well, you know where I stand. The less replay I see, the more I enjoy the game. If I had my way, I'd, I'd ban replay in all sports. Human element. It's always been a part of the game when you make perfect players, then make perfect officials until then all calls should be made by human eyes, not cameras.
3: Well, you know, in general, you guys know, I I agree with you in, in most of these cases, uh, but in that particular race, I mean, that was a clear foul. I mean, the horse jumped the puddle, uh, and he clearly went into the next horse's lane. In fact, he went over two post uh, positions. Uh, he nearly toppled the guy the horse behind him, and he caused three horses to veer wide. It wasn't the jockey's fault. He did a good job get, getting it back under control. But in any normal horse race, that comes down and nobody thinks twice about it. And the real proof of that, uh, in my mind, was if you— Go back and listen to the first interview with the winning jockey. He was still on the horse, and one of the first things he said was, "The crowd spooked my horse when he came around." You know, when we got to the top of the uh, 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 of the home stretch, he knew, he knew what happened. You know, he knew that he had a good chance of getting DQ'd, and he went on the offense. and And I don't blame him. Uh, but in this case, I mean, it, it was it was just only fair. the The sad part about it was it didn't really interfere with a horse that ended up winning the race. I mean, the interference was really with the next two horses. He, he actually wasn't bothered, but, you know, he, he had to come down. I mean... It but, just,
1: but, Ron, you say so. in a normal horse race, a normal horse race, A, isn't on a track like that, and B, it doesn't have 19 or 20 entrants. I mean, that was... That's like a... Bumper cars deal. I mean, it's like a demolition derby. They all bumping into each other. It's part of the deal. Well, yeah,
3: no, it is. And Bob Baffert, the great trainer, uh, Goose pointed this out to me uh, earlier today. Uh, said that very thing. You know, if you're going to be in the derby, you know it's going to be a rough race because there's so many horses. That's how it is. You, you don't call, uh, you know, claim a foul uh, when you know it's going to be a rough race like that. And and, and that's a good point. But uh, and, and certainly maybe that's how the how it should be. But the, it was a legitimate foul. I mean, you, you can't jump to post positions like that. You can't do it. It's not, you know, it's, you can't take a charge in horse racing. <laughs> it beat dead people all over the, uh, you know, uh, all over the race course. So uh, I understand why people are upset, uh, but I also think it was, in this case, uh, the right call. And they could have made it a lot sooner than they
4: did.
1: Quite Well, the, the reason I bring this up, Goose, is, is because I'm convinced that one of these years we're going to have a Super Bowl that's been decided by a, a last-second game-winning touchdown where Confetti comes down. Winners rush down the field. And guess what? TV says, oh, uh, wait a minute. I think his elbow is down two inches from the goal line. And, and remember, we almost had that with the Patriots-Falcons game when James White went wide, and they you know, had this confetti, and all of a sudden they went, oh, well, let's go to replay." Okay, he was in. But in that very moment... I think you've lost, and I'm sorry, Jim McKay, but you've lost the thrill of victory.
4: Hey, it
2: happened at the Oscars with um, Moonlight and La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the stage states, the states doesn't get much bigger now, so it can happen at the Super Bowl, and it probably will. I think it's becoming inevitable.
1: Yeah, right. I agree. And to me, Ron, I, I, I think why this gets under my skin is it's just another example of what drives sports today. And I don't think that's it's necessarily fairness as, as much as it is sorry, but gambling. I mean, there's so much money bet on these games and sports that the, the, the powers that be are bound to determine to parse every piece of videotape for fear of being criticized for a miscall.
3: Well, I agree with you there. I mean, it, it speaks to the danger of tying yourself ever more tightly uh, to what the great commissioner Bird Bell saw as the greatest danger to pro football, which is uh, the questioning of the legitimacy of the outcomes because of the influence of, of gambling. Uh, yeah. Certainly, yeah. now, there were people holding uh, that long-shot ticket uh, that would have howled bloody murder, and rightfully so, if they didn't overturn the outcome. And the same, I'm sure, was true of the people who thought they had the winning ticket. Uh, at some point, you have to accept, as Goose says, human error. It's part of the game. Um, uh but, of course, if you do that, you have to understand that the NFL can no longer insist that football is more important than Sunday Mass uh, or the code to the nuclear missile system. I mean, you know that, that's really, uh, w- to me, what it really boils down to is their self-importance. It's yeah, really right. not that important that the Saints got screwed. It's too bad. Yeah. You know, they, they should have been in the game. But in the grand scheme of the world, as, as my dad used to say, it's not a pimple on my ass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and
1: that's true. We're not going to the videotape for that, Brian. Um, <laughs> no, I'll bet you are not. But, but, but Goose, man, if it, you know if it's that big a deal, I just sort of wonder. Well, why didn't anyone check the videotape of that last Game of Thrones episode? You know, and cry foul because there was a Starbucks cup on the table, but yeah, the was baffled. You know that the show must go on. The emphasis is go. I mean, just go. I think that
2: I think that cup came from the original Starbucks franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Even the Night King Needs his occasional Cup of Joe I think that was A cup of mead
1: (laughs) There's another Question here Ron Which is Valorant And and I raised it earlier And and it was raised By Maximum Security Owner Which is why in the world Do we have 20 horses At 21 whatever I think they were Scheduled to run In the Kentucky Derby I think two scratched, So we ended up With what 19 But it still makes No sense Especially when you Have a track As I mentioned As sloppy as Churchill Downs Was last weekend Because it does become A demolition derby
3: Well yeah uh, But you know Uh that's how the derby has, has been. You know, I always found it really interesting. You know, you, you look at the derby, there'd be 20 horses, 21 horses. They got to have, a, uh, you know, a second starting gate and all that. Two yeah. weeks later is the preakness. And they got nine horses running. <laughs> right? you know, what what the <laughs> right. they all get lost in transition. You, know? uh, you couldn't but, find their way to Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the flip side is that's how you get this kind of 65 to one long shot, uh, you know, winning a race. you wouldn't be in, uh, a, a lot of these races, but everybody takes a shot at it. If you've got a decent three-year-old, um, and, and, and again, like we said earlier, if you're going to have that kind of a race with that many horses spread across the track like that, all trying to get to the rail, then you know it's going to be a rough race. Just just run the race uh, and don't be screaming a butt.
1: Yeah, it's the original bump and run. Yeah. Hey, uh, one other thing that bothers me here, Goose, and that's the stewards. They make their decision, right? Okay. I don't care if you like it or not. They make their decision. And this one turns out to be a historic decision, but then they take no questions? I mean, you've just disqualified the winner of the Kentucky Derby for the first time in history, and you won't answer questions? Do you want to explain that?
2: I think the theory is, if you can't answer the tough question, don't take the tough question. (laughs) You know, Maximum Security was the best horse in that race. It crossed the finish line first. How can the best horse in the race who crossed the finish line first be taken down? The stewards didn't have an answer to that question, so they didn't take any questions. Yeah,
1: yeah. Ron, to me, it's almost... be kind of like you go with the Patriots, be like Bill Belichick, you know, cutting off reporters after, say, a, a Super Bowl loss. Oh, wait a minute. I, you've been on that street before, yeah, haven't you?
3: Sure. Well, I mean, they <laughs> handle it just like uh, Belichick. They were on to Cincinnati, quietly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember one time somebody asked him about well, what's what's wrong with a certain player. I forgot who it was. He goes, he's got a knee. <laughs> we said, yeah, I've got a knee too. What's wrong with a knee? Next question. Okay. <laughs> um, Goose, the last thing here, I guess. Um, you know, I know industry plays here to stay. I mean, we have to coexist with it, right? Um, but it just seems if it's taken over, as I said, every sport so that we have basketball games stop three or four times in the last two minutes, uh, hockey games stop while Toronto makes a call, baseball games stop while New York makes a call, and the Kentucky Derby. Because of something Stewart saw when they ran, re ran the videotape 50 or 60 times. Never talked about it but or answered questions. He just saw the videotape and they made a the decision. Now, the Kentucky Derby is supposed to be the fastest two minutes in sports. That's what they say. But not last weekend, it was. it was the longest 25 minutes in a replay booth. I mean, once upon a time, there was a flow to events. But not anymore because replay won't allow it. And oh, by the way, get off my lawn!
2: yeah i 've already stated my position, get rid of all replays debating whether an on the field or on the ice or on the court call was correct has been sp- part of sporting lore for decades and I was there when you know Don Denkinger the, p- the play at first base in the eighty five world Series, they're still talking about that thirty years later you know we're losing that we're losing <laughs> That, that lore of discussing, was it the right call or was it not the right call?
1: But there's no going back. I mean, there really is no, you can't turn right. the clock back. There's no going back to that. Now, it's, to me, it's, it, as long as it's here, you go, okay, it's here, but it should be in moderation or at least there should be some sensibility about it. Instead, we've expanded it to cover what? Now it's covering pass interference in football. And as you well, guys mentioned one of these days will th- be holding. You know, be oh, I saw something else. They had 13 men on the field, whatever.
2: The Cowboys are still ru- waiting for the NFL to rule that Dez, in fact, made that catch and we're going to replay the, <laughs> the
1: season from <laughs> I mean you have point. to go back to Green Bay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. You know, look at look at golf.
3: You got fans calling in, yeah, saying terrible. they say on TV that somebody, you know, the ball moved, you know, quivered. What? Yeah, terrible, and and terrible. they and, and they cut and they the cost guys tournaments. in yep. and strokes. What? I've never heard yeah. that Are you serious. Oh, it's strokes. happened a number of times. Oh, and, you know, they 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 can look at the ball oscillating. Oscillating, you know, because yeah. some guy's got five G, super, whatever it is, TV, you know, and literally they they call in and 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 guys have lost strokes and lost tournaments because somebody right. on television said, "Look at that," you know.
1: Wow. So we're, we're stuck with that. it. Yeah, we're stuck with it. We are stuck with it. Is that Scott Osler's column? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, I guess that was my own board just above it. That was a pretty good
3: rant, I must say.
1: Yeah, well, uh, guess what? We're going to replay, too. Uh, To hear Ty Law replay what happened when he had his bronze bust casted last weekend. That's coming up next is the to Big Network.
0: Sixteen-year-old. This is the Talk of Fame Network hey, on SB Nation just... Radio from the Arani Auto Parts Studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: Well, old friend is almost co-host by now. That'd be Ty Law. He's
0: back with us today,
1: but this time he's not talking football. Not really. Instead, he's here to talk about art more than football, or at least a blending of the two. Because remember, Ty Law is a Hall of famer and who better than a hall of famer to ask about how a hall of fame bus is made than someone who just sat down with ben hammond to create one and that someone ladies and gentlemen is none other than ty lock ty welcome back
5: hey, hey thanks for having me man how you doing Good. <laughs> it's all good. Here, you know,
3: I saw a picture of you Ty, that you had in your Instagram. I think it was you sitting in a chair with your feet up on a box. As Ben was working, uh, uh, you know, he had those pictures of you on a, on a screen, and you there. I was just wondering, how long did you sit like that, and how, how hard was it for you to not be jumping around
5: all over the place? Imagine I put it in, put it in perspective for you a little bit. I mean, we all get haircuts, at least most of us do. I don't know about Borges over there, but we all get haircuts every week. So imagine sitting for a month's worth of haircuts in one sitting. That, that, that's what the hell that was like, man. I, I was, man, ass hurting, just tired. But, you know, at least you get to talk, be on your phone. and like. But to see him go to work and do it all by hand like that it was amazing because when I first walked in and I seen just the, like the mode of, of a head, I'm like, who the hell is that?
4: You know what I mean? Cause they
5: measured my head. They measured my head down in um, uh, in Atlanta. You know, after I um got uh nominated, and got inducted, and all that stuff, it's like. But I did not recognize the person until he started to go to work on it. And I'm like, I don't know how the hell he's gonna pull this off because it was looking like a straight avatar. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you know, so hats off, so hats off to Ben Hammond man, for pulling it together for me because I definitely had my doubts when I walked in there. <laughs> Now, now, you mentioned,
3: it, as, you, as you just mentioned, of course, about your ass hurting, uh, when's the last time you can remember sitting in one place that long, uh, and was it because of something your grandfather made you do?
5: You know what? I can't because I'm, you know, everybody tell me I got uh, ADD, ADHD, <laughs> and I'm always moving around, you know what I mean? So. That was pretty tough for me. So of course, you know, I had to get up every now and again. My, my legs get numb, and some guys say, "Ben, can we go get something to eat, man?" You <laughs> <laughs> know, come back, man. But it was like, uh, you know, it, it, it was cool. I mean, it was like they told me to prepare for seven to eight hours. I thought they was, you know, what I mean. And but it, it was actually the truth. But it's not like I have to just sit there and and stare at the wall like that, man. So it was it was a pretty, uh, you know. Great experience, to be honest with you, man. But like I said, I was a little scared, man, because I've seen that thing. That's supposed to be me before he got to working on it. I thought you had to have some uh, resemblance of me, even though you had to do the finishing touches or whatever. But that was nothing like me. So he is an incredible talent, man, and man, they couldn't have picked a better person to do my butt.
2: Did you talk to anyone who would already gone through the process before you went to Utah?
5: Yes. Yeah. I talked to Randy, uh, Randy Moss, and he, he said, if you do anything, go to them. You know what I mean? Because I guess a lot of guys in the past have, you know, they either came to you and they wasn't able to bring all their, you know, equipment or it was just a different setting. But uh, then some of them just don't go at all, and they just go by the pictures that they see. And they have a bunch of pictures. So Randy's like, you do not want to do that, so I encourage you to go. Uh, to wherever they're at, and take the time out because this is your bus that's going to be there for the uh, rest of your life and 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 the, the kids' life, the grandkids' life, and their kids' life. So it's going to live on forever. So you wanted to be right, look like you.
2: So who's going to have the better looking bus? You or Tony Dorsett? <laughs>
5: Hey, you know what? I, I, I look. I got. I got I to gotta get that to myself. You know, even though Uncle got his, he, he's looking clean up in there. You know, hey, that, 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 that old school haircut, kind of out of style right now. So, you know, I think I think mine gonna be sitting a little prettier. He's probably damn near green now too, because they say they change colors. You know, over time and a lot of years, so they get like a little green texture to it. So he, his shit probably looking like mold right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ty, other than R-
1: Randy I mean how much about this process Was explained to you before you went in And, and do you have much input Into the final Well into the final uh, bust I guess And final project
5: uh, No no I mean, I mean you, I've mean, talked to Like Randy like to Jerome And you know basically enjoying the process And if you want to have input You have to go you know what I mean If they're looking at pictures of, of uh, Like 40, 50 pictures of you and they're trying to guess what look you may want they're gonna go by what their interpretation is, so I was at least able to uh uh tell them what I wanted do I want the the young law? do I want the old Tylaw i got the I got the beard now, which I didn't uh people probably recognize me more now with <laughs> people probably recognize me more now uh with the beard and I never played with a beard. I played with a goatee. So I said, you know what? This is when I played. I never wore a beard playing. So I got to go back to the goatee law. Then, then you got some of the off-season pitches of law which I wasn't too fond of either. It looking kind of chubby like Parcells <laughs> was probably chubby. Exactly. <laughs> I have that. You know, I said, I, I said, give me one of them, that, you know, that in-shape training camp title during season so I can, uh, you know, look the part. Because a couple of them pitches, I was like, damn. Boy, I'd have got a hell of a sign off for that one. <laughs> so no you, went for the
1: young,
5: you went for the young, Ty Law? No, no, I didn't go for the young, young. Where I just had like the most, I had my full goatee, so I was seasoned, and I, was, I think I established myself uh, as a Pro Bowl corner by then, you know what I mean? But it wasn't like the first, second year guy, but, you know, in the middle of my career where, you know, I, I made my name, so I kind of based it off of there the look that I wore it in.
1: Let me ask you something. If if you look at the finished product and you go, uh, "I don't like it," or that doesn't look anything like me, can you send it back like school pictures for a redo? You don't <laughs> want to have your school
5: pictures. You go. No, <laughs> Let's get rid of it. I think, I, I think you might be half out of luck because I don't <laughs> think they're going to do that again. You know what I mean? So uh, it ain't like that. So I, I hopefully because I haven't seen the finished product either. So the, the whole process is is, is amazing because this is just a mold. And then he kind of took me through what they do from the mold, and I'm like, "Wow!" I'm thinking that's what it's going to be, and they're going to put some type of coating over it, man. But this is—it's it's a crazy scientific uh, process. And then after it's all done, so what you seen on Instagram, they're going to break that thing and smash it, and it's going to be done. Oh, really? Yeah, they—they're gonna—they they do some type of plastic thing, and then they take it <laughs> to the bronze, and then just the whole video what they do. I'm like, "Oh man!" So the mold that you see and that I seen. They're gonna they're gonna destroy that. They'll never be seen again.
3: Is that because they don't want any chance of somebody somehow copies it in some way? Is that is that what they're concerned with?
5: I I don't think that's the concern. I don't think they have any more use for it. You know, I would have loved to uh take it uh, myself and i've even said hey you know hey say, let me get two of these <laughs> you know what i mean let me i'll pay for one you know you are willing to put your money up hey i let me buy me one no they don't let you do that so they give you a a, a a a replica and it's like a resin plastic that they give to us as players but the only bronze bus will go in can and then there wouldn't be no other copies made of that i oh, mean wow. like the original
0: yeah okay.
5: You know, there was which um, was kind of disappointing because you know my mama want to have one in a, at her house. and I like to have one in my my house, but I guess that's why it makes it so exclusive, so special that it's only going to be one. And if you want to see the original, you have to go to Canton, Ohio. A couple of years back, uh,
2: somebody stole the O.J. Simpson bust on a, and, and left it on the Ohio Turnpike. What precautions have you taken to protect your bust against angry Colts fans? <laughs>
5: <laughs> hey, did that really happen? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: yeah.
5: yeah. I don't they know. Found they found out a turnpike. Wow. I, I, man, you would think that security is uh, uh, better than that, but... Um, how are you going to protect your nah. bust? How are you going to protect I, your you bust? Know I, I, you know, I don't... I, you know what, that's up to uh, uh, those guys at the Hall of Fame. They been have some cameras around there, or something. They need to put it behind some glass, lock it up, you know, have an alarm on it, tracking device. I, I mean, I don't know, but uh I, I was like what I'm gonna have, I'm gonna protect my little plastic one <laughs> to the death, you know what I Because mean? I get another one. So so my little plastic one, I'm gonna have that thing behind uh, behind glass, behind lock and key, uh fingerprint. <laughs> Uh, security, <laughs> <laughs> rental security. I'm gonna have mine on lock. <laughs>
3: <laughs> how long were you out in in Utah? I mean, was it a one day deal? Were you there for several days, or how? how
5: long no, no. I, I I went in in the morning, and left out that evening. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, Utah is a beautiful uh, city, but I ain't. Uh, you know, I wasn't trying to go sightseeing in Provo. <laughs>
3: You know, it's kinda of interesting that this is the guy they chose to do you because you may not know this, but he also did Marvin Harrison who you kept throwing oh, out yeah? of bounds and knocking to the ground. <laughs> so.
5: Well, hey, I tell you what, he did a hell of a job on Marvin because 'cause am like say, some of the bush you look at, you know right away who who they are. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean I've seen some that well, I, I didn't I didn't know until I looked at the name. I said, Okay, now I see it but Marvin you look at him, I guess I've seen him enough being up in the space as much as I have, but I said, damn it, that's Marvin right there. You know what I mean? So yeah. he did Jason Taylor, uh, Terrell Davis. So he did Brian Dawkins. So he did a lot of busts that looked, you know, like the like the player. And like I said, I don't know who done some of the other busts. I'm not going to say any, you know, names in particular. I did not, I did not enjoy looking at some of them because I didn't think it was a great representation of uh, – well I know what that play to look like. Sure. Hey, has any player told you they didn't like their bust? No, no, I no one no one uh told me that now. But I but I'm quite sure that it's some out there that's not very happy with it. And like I said, I d I haven't seen my finished product so I don't know how I'm gonna feel. I just know I mean we're off in the right direction as far as like uh what he what where it started and where he finished, I was very uh, uh, pleased with that. He said he has a, a few more things uh, to do, you know, to touch it up. He said he'll be sending me some things, you know, um, throughout the process. So I'm just waiting to get the first pictures of uh, the next transformation. I got to tell hey, Ty, you, Ty.
1: If it felt like you were sitting for a month long haircut forever.
5: okay um, Ye- yes.
1: How did he keep? How did Ben keep you still? Because if you're doing a haircut, the, the barber is, hey, could you keep your head still? Could you keep, don't move. If it felt like a month's worth of <laughs> haircuts,
5: how do you keep it still? Uh, you know what? It's not about sitting still. I mean, he's so skilled that, uh, you know, we're just having conversations. We was, you know, shooting the shit about a little bit of everything. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, just like barbershop talk. You know, I didn't have to stay still. He wasn't working on me uh, on 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 physically, you know, he just had the mold and he was just capturing, you know, the essence of who I am and who he thought I was in his eyes, man, and and, and he was uh, right on point. We had some pictures there as well on the computer, on a computer screen. He'll go through different uh, pictures, you know what I mean, to try to capture everything because, you know, you change uh, in, in years. One, as you get older, you change as far as physical stature. We don't say the same weight Playing weight year round, you know what I mean. At least I didn't. You know, some guys lose weight, some guys gain, uh, and I was one of those guys that in off season, uh, I I was off, <laughs> and, uh, and I let my body I let my body rest for at least a certain amount of time. You know what I mean? Before I got back into it, because I trained so hard when I got back into it. So you know, my trainer said, "When you off, hey, I want you to, I want you to take off for a minute." You know what I mean? I didn't take off long. You know what I mean? But, you know, I'm a, I'm a big guy, naturally. So, uh, and that, that's just how it was. So, I mean, I'm surprised that it, the, the one picture that he had up, I was like, man, that had to be right at minicamp, and I did a damn thing. I said, you will not use that one. <laughs> hey, Ty, we got to run. Thanks so
1: much for the time. Okay. And you know what? This may be the first time anyone said this to you, but congratulations.
5: You're a bust. <laughs> hey thanks guys thanks for having me man thanks All Ty got it. thanks Ty alright brother that was Ty Law Hall of Famer
1: Ty Law and Ty we'll see you in August up next it's a two minute drill this is the Talk of Fame Network
0: this is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios here's Clark Judge Rick Goslin and Ron Borges we're
1: just about at intermission but first <laughs> Two yes, sir, it's a two-minute drill, and I've got it this week. So, gentlemen, start your engines. Game of Thrones, an HBO series, history of the English monarchy, or a documentary about Tom Brady.
2: Right city, wrong player. It's a documentary of Bill Russell. Ah! Not even close. Documentary of the winningest quarterback in NFL history, Otto Graham.
1: <laughs> Why are Brady and Edelman and Belichick at the Kentucky Derby?
2: Because the NFL now embraces all aspects of gambling. (laughs) Because they no longer
1: believe
3: in their former mantra, no days off. Now it's all days off. If
1: that's the case, why did Gronk skip it?
2: For the same reason he's retiring retiring from football. Bad back. Too stuffy for him. Gronk wants to rock, not sushi roll.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And why on earth were Cliff Kingsbury and Baker Mayfield there, too?
2: They wanted to get in their country house and hope the winning rubs off. <laughs> Make him believe they're NFL celebrities, which is all you can do when you're not an NFL celebrity. <laughs>
1: Speaking of celebrities, whom would you trust to win one game? Vince Lombardi, Bill Belichick, or James Holzhauer?
2: Unlike Lombardi and Belichick, Holzhauer has never tasted
1: defeat.
3: <laughs> exactly, Holzhauer. He would have played the odds, and he would have played Malcolm Butler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's taking the NFL so long back on Tyreek Hill?
2: The legal system. The
3: audio tape. It never has him admitting anything.
1: So why don't they put Robert Mueller on the case?
2: Because he won't reach a conclusion. (laughs) Exactly. They know what he's going to say.
1: Maybe he did, and maybe he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) True or false? Ezekiel Elliott gets a long-term extension before the season.
2: False. The quarterback always comes first in pecking order, and Dak's still waiting. (laughs) I say probably
1: true. (laughs) Okay. True or false? Try this again, we get a long-term extension. We get a long-term extension before the season.
2: Oh, that would mean we'd have to sign a contract. <laughs> I say definitely <laughs> true.
1: Daniel Jones, Burt Jones, Basketball Jones, or Mrs. Jones?
2: The voice of God, James Earl Jones. <laughs> Ooh!
1: <laughs> Another Jones, that'd be Jerry Jones, says he's sold on Dak Prescott. Are you?
2: Only Dallas quarterbacks i am sold on are Stalbuck and Aikman, the guys with all the rings. <laughs>
1: He's the best quarterback they
3: have, so you better be sold on him. I'm not selling, but I'm not buying. That's, That's the
1: end of Let's <laughs> end up our first hour, but stay where you are. We have John Turney, the Indy Combine, and Borges or Bogus coming up. So don't touch that dial. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio.
1: And online at SBNationLive.com.
0: From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: Welcome back to the Talk of Fame Network. This is our number two. I'm Clark, along with Rick and Ron. This hour, we're going to hear from Chris Gall on the draft. Possibly, I say draft, I mean combine, possibly move from Indianapolis to LA? Oh, no, you got to be kidding me. Anyway, we're going to hear from him. We'll also going to hear from why former Giants safety Jimmy Patton, who's a key member of those Giants teams in the late 50s and early 60s, and was a great one. Why he belongs in a Hall of Fame conversation. And we're going to sit down with NFL historian John Turney to talk about the quote unquote highlights generation, as he calls it. But first, Goose, since we don't have a whole lot of time in the segment, I know we want to congratulate former Packers GM Ted Thompson. I'm getting named to the PAX Hall of Fame. He's only the second GM to make it to the hall. The first being, of course, Goose.
2: Ron Wolf, friend of the Ron show. Ron
1: Wolf, Hall of Famer. And he got there despite telling people, and I'm talking about Ted, despite telling people that, quote, I'm just a scout, unquote. And Goose, he was more than that, and you would know of all people.
2: Yeah, all you need to know about Ted Thompson is that with his very first draft pick as an NFL general manager, He took Aaron Mm Rodgers. He saw something in Rodgers that 23 other NFL teams missed. The great scouts don't listen to the opinions of others. They watch tape and decide for themselves. Ted Thompson is a guy who watched tape. And when he said he's just a scout, he's just a very good scout.
1: Very good scout, yeah. You and I were there at, uh, radio city when that fall started to happen. Rogers kept going 18, 19, 20. Remember that? And Aaron Rogers looking, up, going, when am I getting out of this green room? And finally Ted came to the rescue.
2: Yeah, I was, uh, I was as stunned as he was. I had, uh, Rogers as a seventh player on my, in my top 100, a seventh player on my board. And I, I thought he'd be gone in the first five picks. But when San Francisco went the other way, wow, that was unbelievable. Um, yeah. fortunately for Aaron and fortunately for Ted, uh, the Packers ended the slide.
1: Goose, you think he ever gets consideration for a contributor award because, well, it's Mark Murphy of the Packers born out, what distinguished his tenure with the club's consistency. I mean, they went to the playoffs eight straight seasons.
2: Yeah, but with only one ring, I mean, he's going to be a long shot. You know, if you're talking about contributors and quarterbacks and coaches, it's the jewelry people want to see, and he's just got the one ring. Great, you know, you can consistently put him in the consistency Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Fame, one ring, going to be
1: tough. Yeah, okay, well, congratulations to one Hall of Fame, Ted Thompson, that's the Packers Hall of Fame, and continued success to the Green Bay Packers and Ted Thompson in his retirement. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, a couple of sad notes to pass along. Um, We recently
1: lost former Raiders linebacker Dan Connors. And former Cards Chiefs and Packers running back, MacArthur Lane. Now, MacArthur passed away last weekend at the age of 77, and Dan Connors died on April 28th at the age of 78. And I want to start with Dan Connors first. Not many people outside of Oakland may remember him, Ron, but I know you do. He was the first Raiders draft pick signed by Al Davis. That was 1964, and he was a solid, solid linebacker in the middle of the Raiders defense when that defense didn't have any black
3: holes. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, uh, uh, you know, he he was just a tackling machine, uh, really tough guy, you know, hard-nosed guy, Pennsylvania guy. Uh, uh, He was the captain of their team. uh, he returned after his retirement to scout for them for about uh, 15 years or so. Uh, he was on the uh, second team of the all time All AFL team. Uh, you know, he was just a tremendous player that, you know, time has uh, forgotten. Uh, but really a, a, a good player, a hard nosed guy, and a guy who uh, uh, was one of the few guys willing to stand up to Al Davis.
1: Uh, I was going to ask you, maybe that's it, but is there one characteristic or memory about Dan Connors that stands out for you?
3: Well, yeah, I got two quick stories for you. One was when his rookie year, he only played in five games. That was in 1974, and the team went five, seven, one. And the final game of the year was played over at Frank Ewell Field, the old uh, junior college stadium that was right abuts the Nimitz Freeway, and they beat the Chargers 21 to 20. And after the game, the players were parking their packing their cars to drive back home, uh, and Connor, still in his uniform, stormed into Al's office and said, "I hate you. I hate you. I hate the Raiders. I hate everybody." <laughs> He was, it was because he felt that he should have played more. And Al looked at him and got up and hugged him and he said, I love you. <laughs> that was that like, classic Al. And he started the next season and he, and he started for the rest of his career. And the other quick story is when he came back as a scout, he had coached after his playing days role with the 49ers. Then he was a scout with Tampa and ultimately came back for the last 15 or 20 years and coached in Oakland with the Raiders. Uh, well, uh, you know, late in his life, he was getting older and his age was starting to get to him and he informed them in the fall to the scouting director that he was going to retire and he wasn't going to scout this year. So he never filed a single report. So it it comes to be draft time the following uh, March, and Al says, you know, where's where's Connors' reports? And no one had told Al that that Dan had quit. So they had to scramble around and make up reports, and somebody from accounting came in and said, should we still be paying Dan Connors? (laughs) He, He got paid the whole year for not scouting,
1: cashed every check. (laughs) <laughs> oh, shit. Well, Goose, then, of course, uh, we've got MacArthur Lane, who is from Oakland and who passed away there last Sunday. And Goose, I'll I tell you what, I, I loved to watch those Cardinals in the late 60s, even though I was a Colts fan, partly because I loved their uniforms, that was so cool, and partly because I loved Charlie Winner's wide-open approach, but mostly because of guys like Jackie Smith, Willis Crenshaw, Bobby Joe Conrad, Charlie Johnson, whose autograph I got, and MacArthur Lane. Um, he was a pretty good back, Goose, who became, as you know, a pretty good receiver later in his career.
2: Yeah, I covered him in Kansas City. He, he had some really good seasons running the ball in St. Louis and Green Bay. But he was a power back, and his body took a beating. By the time he got to KC, the Chiefs took him out of the traffic flow as a runner, put him in open spaces as a receiver, and, and he led the NFL with 66 receptions in 1976. As a side note, he also dabbled as a Nike shoe rep late in his career, and I had a few pair of those shoes in my closet.
1: <laughs> All right. All right, so maybe that's his legacy. I was going to ask you, what's his legacy? I mean, some people think it's, well, he's the guy, the Packers acquired for Don Anderson. How do you remember him?
2: Well, he was a standout in an era when halfbacks and fullbacks shared the carries. He could block, catch, run. He went to the Pro Bowl as a runner, led the NFL in receiving, and lasted 11 seasons. Ninety percent of everyone who ever played in the NFL would take that career.
1: All rise, here comes the judge. Well, there's someone else I'd like to remember this week, and like Dan Connors and MacArthur Lane. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. In fact, former Giants safety Jimmy Patton, whom I wrote about this week on our website, network.com, he passed away a long time ago at the age of 39 when he was involved in a fatal car crash while driving to visit his sister, who was dying at the time from cancer. Now, I, as I said, wrote about him. And I would like to make another pitch right here, right now, to those who may have missed what I did write. We talk about a lot of safeties on this show or in the Hall of Fame. Rooms, uh safety of belonging can, guys like Eddie Metter, Cliff Ferris, John Lynch, Steve Atwater, Leroy Butler, Donny Shell, you name it but you never hear the name Jimmy Patton and that puzzles me because he not only was a star safety he was one of the most vital elements in a terrific Giants defense that was coached then by Tom Landry and that was among the best and brightest in the late 50s and early 1960s and I guess the question is why? Why has he forgotten? And frankly I don't know it might be because he was overshadowed by former teammate Emlyn Tonnell who was also a safety or that he wasn't an all decade choice or maybe that he died so young that we simply lost touch with what made him great I don't know but what made him great was that he was a complete ball player. He, he was small. He stood five ten, weighed one hundred eighty-three pounds, and he didn't wear hip pads because he thought it might make him faster, which it did, I guess. But that should have made him more vulnerable in the face of oncoming bulldozers like a Jim Brown or a John Henry Johnson. But it didn't. He was fearless, and he wasn't afraid to tackle. And you know what? He made lots of them. Just as he made lots of interceptions in nineteen fifty-eight, for instance, the year the Giants were in the greatest game ever played against Baltimore. He led the league with 11 interceptions. He finished with 52 in his 12 years with the Giants, which is second only to eh, Edmonton L. And he never had a season where he didn't have at least one. Moreover, from the second game of 1958 to the 12th game of 61, he had 30 interceptions. Only the seventh player prior to the league merger to produce 30 more in four consecutive years. Three of the others, Edmonton Yeah they in the Hall of Fame. If I could stop every pass, Jimmy Patton once said, no one could afford to pay my salary. He was right about that. When he first joined the NFL in 1955, Jimmy Patton was used mostly as a kick and punt returner, and he was good enough to return one of each for a touchdown that season against Washington. A year later, stepped into the starting lineup, and he never left, earning five consecutive first-team All-Pro nominations along the way and six Pro teams in total. Now, Jimmy Patton was so good that NFL historian John Turney, who will join us shortly... He called him one of the best, if not the best, defender of his era. And the numbers speak for themselves. When Turney wrote a story in 2017, chronicling the guys who had 10 or more interceptions versus particular teams, Emlyn Tunnell led everyone with 15. You know who was second? Jimmy Patton with 14. As Coach Ali Sherman said, he had three qualities you find in the best players. Consistency, top performance, and great heart, unquote. So why has he been forgotten? You guys are on the senior committee, so maybe that's a question for you. Why has he been forgotten? All I know is that Jimmy Patton deserves more than just to be remembered. He deserves to be enshrined.
2: Okay, I've got a question for you. Who is more Hall of Fame worthy off those great giant teams of the 1950s, Jimmy Patton or quarterback Charlie Carley?
1: Goodwin Goose, uh, that's, a, that's a tough one on two different positions. Um, but I believe Jimmy Patton was as important to the Giants as, as Connolly was on offense. I, I know Charlie Connolly was a league MVP and a passing leader both in the same year. I think it was 59. But I take those all pro nominations seriously. And Charlie Connolly was a second team all pro. And that was once. Jimmy Patton was named six times, including five straight first teams. That tells me. That he was better at his job than Charlie Connolly was at his. No disrespect, both were great players. So I'm taking Jimmy Patton.
3: Well, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, six times a uh, uh, first-team All-Pro in a 12-year career. So how much do you think it hurt Patton that he basically split two decades and hence was not an All-Decade player because he started in 1955 and he ended in 1967. Uh, yeah. So you know, so he, he never really was sort of half as great years in one decade and a half in the other, and consequently, you don't make
4: either team.
1: Yeah, that's a good question, Ron. But I, I think being overshadowed by others on that defense like Tennell, Sam Huff, Cap Cabbage, Robustelli, I think that had more to do with it. I mean, remember, this is a team that won only one league championship. And unless you're the Raiders of the 70s and you have you making the presentations, Ron, it's going to be difficult to get more than a few in. Oh,
2: there you Car- go. What was the gap between Patton and Tennell?
1: Um. Tonnell left after the 59 season, I think, and then Patton was back there without him. Um, I think Tonnell was 59 or 58. Anyway, um, he, he then went on to, God, where'd he go? He went to Green Bay, I think, Bay. Uh, for a few seasons. But, uh, and anyway, they, they spent a brief time together, but that's 55, 56, 57, 58, you know, at least four or five years together.
3: Uh, you know, a quick question here: The Giants had several Hall of Famers from that team of his era, uh, but they yep. won only that one title. Had they won two or three, do you think? Yeah. W- yeah. would be in there along with probably two or three other guys.
1: Maybe. Yeah, I mean, look what happened to the Steelers. Look what happened to the Packers. Yeah, it certainly wouldn't have hurt. Yeah, I think so. Uh, It's funny, guys, but when I think of the Giants defense, two guys always come to mind, Sandhoff and Jimmy Patton. I'm not sure why he's never been discussed, but then again, I think we ask that question almost every week. Anyway, going to take a break here. When we return, we'll hear from pro football historian John Turney. You'll listen to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: Well, whenever we want a reality check, we put in a call to our next guest, and that would be NFL historian John Turney of Pro Football Journal. And fortunately, John not only answers our calls, but he agrees to join us. John, I think you're a glutton for punishment. Anyway, thanks for being here again.
4: You're, you're more than welcome, and I'll, uh, I'll await your check in the mail.
1: <laughs>
3: I'll be a long wait.
1: In the mail.
4: In the mail. Hey, I want to start by asking about a tweet
1: that you posted last weekend. Uh, it was in response to a story I wrote about <clears throat> Marshawn Lynch and how I, I felt he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame ahead of, let's say, former Seattle Seahawks Ricky Waters and or Shane, uh, Sean Alexander. And you responded in this tweet, quote, Highlight generation. Amazing plays carry more weight than consistent, excellent production beast mode he got mossed and so on and it was then that struck me you're absolutely right i haven't been able for months for years whatever to articulate why we sometimes can't reach some younger fans or voters i'm talking about rick ron and i and others in that room and and this nailed it. it it seems like yeah it is it's more about highlights now than it is consistency or longevity
4: Yeah, and I think that's been the case for maybe two decades. It probably came in in its genesis with ESPN and then other networks, CNN, uh, Nick Charles and those guys. We would catch all the highlights because that's really all we could get. And then the Sunday shows came on, and then the Monday night preview shows came on, and it was all about highlights. But in the past 10, 12 years, what I have found most fascinating is the fact that NFL allows us to watch full games and the All-22, the NFL replay, and those types of things where you can actually watch the consistent play, where you can watch a J.J. Watt once in a while get blocked, and you realize that both sides of the ball get paid, and you have to look at it within context. You can't just look at the highlights. Because if you do that, then you have to look at the lowlights. And Randy Moss, for example, I have mentioned him. Yeah, he had the incredible talent, probably the most talented receiver I've ever seen. But did he maximize his talents? And I don't think he did. He quit in games. He quit on seasons almost. So you have to look at the lowlights, too, if you're going to just look at the highlights. But the best way, in my opinion, is just to look at their whole career and then assess whether they measure up to the guys in their era or not but
1: you're very different than the casual fan or even sometimes longtime fans because you look beyond the numbers. You go deep into the game. And and I think what a lot of people do is they judge these guys simply from TV. And and that's when you were talking about the highlight generation. I mean, I I know if I see ESPN, for instance, they're replaying the same dunk or, or Odell Beckham catch over and over and over, the same one. But it's to the point where I think some fans think, well, that's who the guy is. He makes that catch all the time. He makes that dunk all the time. He dominates everybody, forgetting, of course, that there was another side to, say, Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown that forced them out of the towns where they were. If they were such great players, why'd they get rid of them? Well, there's another side to them.
4: Well, exactly right. And if some of these guys were so dominant, then why didn't the, the expert writers, you guys, and the other 40, 45 that are the AP writers, vote them to the AP All-Pro team more than once or more than twice? Because the old guys would get in there five, six, seven times. And you can't say that Jim Brown never earned any of them. He wasn't a free repeater. He was the best running back in the game. Was Marshawn Lynch ever the best running back in the game? Was he in the top two? Was he in the top five? We need to know those types of things.
2: Okay, John, speaking of the highlight generation, who is the most overhyped player with a bust in ten?
4: Ooh, I'm going to get in a little bit of trouble. No, uh, you're not. not. No, you're not. Not the... Not that he doesn't deserve to eventually get in Canton, but I always had a problem with Warren Sapp's total game. On third down, he had an explosive step and would get off the field and had a tremendous amount of pass rush. But to me, did he play the run very well? And it almost becomes a cliche, well, yeah, he didn't play the run. But when you look at the numbers and the film, it says the same thing. Answer me this, how does, how does Rondé Barber have 60 Point five tackles for loss in his career right. and warren Sapp has 63.5 you got a cornerback and a defensive tackle with almost the same number in the same scheme that's just unheard of and it doesn't speak well for Sapp. when a guy like bryant young had seven fewer sacks and maybe 20 25 more run stuff he can't get a sniff so i'm going to go with warren Sapp.
2: okay Sapp of course was a first ballot hall of famer do you have a problem with the with the constant referring to guys as first ballot Hall of Famers like we do?
4: Yeah, I do, because I subscribe to the Bob Costas argument. Now, maybe it's wrong, but I asked them about that. I said, is there extra cachet to any player being a first ballot Hall of Famer? And he says, yes, there is. Now, of course, there have been screw-ups, and there's a few people that have gotten in recently that I don't think were first ballot Hall of Famers, and there's been a few that maybe should have been that we're not, but that doesn't mean you throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, I think first ballot should be the guy that everybody agrees on, that he doesn't have any any um, knocks on his career. He had the longevity. He had the honors. Everybody that played against him said he was the best or one of the best. He won the championships, and there's just not that many of them. But I think, yeah, there is something special to guys like a, a Michael Jordan being a first-ballot Hall of Famer, and if you give it to somebody else who doesn't measure up, then that cheapens the award. It, means right. it doesn't mean anything anymore. And, frankly, we're getting close to that status in, in the football Hall of Fame. Hey, Ron, uh, tell me your definition of a first-ballot Hall of Famer.
3: Jim Brown, sit down. That's it. You stand up, you say Jim Brown, you sit down. you got to say one word more than that. He's not a first-ballot Hall of Famer,
4: in my mind. If i
3: got to defend him at all, he's not a first-ballot Hall of Famer.
4: I think that's a, a, an excellent way to put, it to, to put it to the test. I would agree with that. If you have to make a case for a guy, then that probably means or does mean he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I had a problem,
4: and nothing against Jason Taylor. He was an excellent player. But when I think of the only defensive ends to be in the Hall of Fame first ballot as being Bruce, Reggie, Deacon, and Gino, you don't even need to say their last name and all right. football fans know who we're talking about, and then you add Jason Taylor to that. That's a Sesame Street song. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: no, you're a thousand percent right. Look, we've put in something like, uh, these guys have heard me rail about this. I forget how many. It, I we've put in like eight first ballot Hall of Famers in the last three years, which means to me it doesn't right. mean anything anymore.
4: Right. You know? I mean, right, and sometimes oh. they just, uh, you know, uh, 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 I look at, a, and I know Jackie Slater, he's a great guy, but he uh, was never a consensus All-Pro in 20 years. Seven Pro Bowls in 20 years. Uh, Same with Daryl Green. To me, that doesn't say jump off the page, first ballot, Hall of Famer. 20 years is only part of it. The the longevity is only part of the equation. Where are the honors? Where are the championships? And so on.
3: Sure. I mean, I think the same applied this year with Champ Bailey. You know, we put in another guy, Ty Law, who, uh, in every measurable statistic, of playing cornerback, Law had more production. Yet the other guy goes in on roller skates, and Law did get in, but he's you know it's been whatever it is the third or fourth time he's been eligible. And what makes one guy a first ballot slam dunk Hall of Famer when he's opposed by a guy who's better in every statistic? I mean, yeah, and I, what I think the, the hell are we doing? That,
4: well, I think that's the 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 pro bowl thing he got, had the 12 pro bowls right. but a lot of times the voters forget and don't compare pro bowls properly since 95 the fans have voted and what teams have the most active ardent fans in the pro bowl voting dallas and denver that's why you get guys that go to denver at the end of their career like a john lynch and brian dawkins who were good players but were they pro bowlers at the end of their career right. was champ bailey a 12-time pro bowler no i don't think so
3: Right, and now you know we, we've got an opposite situation uh, here this week in our state. Your so case, Clark wrote about Jimmy Patton. He played 12 years. He was first-team All-Pro half of his career, six times. We got a guy like Cornelius Bennett who was a two-time Defensive Player of the Year. And we're not talking, and, and we're talking about Marshawn Lynch's impact or Shane Leckler's instep. Why? Why? Because, as you point out, I think you know they don't have any highlights of Jimmy Patton. That's uh, right. And I also think he was one of those weird guys who was, like, between decades. You know, he was in the middle of one, and he ended in the middle of another. And so he ends up... I, yeah, the all decade
4: thing could sometimes be a, a... That's that's why we did the, the mid-decade all-decade teams. It's kind of a funny name. But a guy that came in in 1955 and ended in 65, well, he's not eligible for either one of the all-decade teams. So you got to have something in the middle. right? And we yeah. put Jimmy Patton on that one for sure.
3: You know, certainly... Well, uh, you know, older players are at a real disadvantage with uh, today's fans because they have they don't have any interest in the past, and, and if you can't Twitterize the guy for them, they can't uh, learn about him. Uh, it just seems uh, like you talked about this sort of highlight, uh, uh, you know, generation. But don't you think that broadcasters, I don't, many of them wouldn't call them journalists, but I do think that they have some responsibility uh, for not just – babbling that this guy's a future Hall of Baker Mayfield's a future Hall of Famer. Now, baker Mayfield may end up making more money as a Baker than as a quarterback, as far as we know. I mean, don't they have some obligation to be at least quasi-reasonable about these things when they throw them out, or, or not?
4: Well, I think we're missing the kind of leadership that Merlin Olsen did. I would challenge you guys to go online and find some games that Dick Enberg and Merlin Olsen did, because Merlin talked about things that were away from the ball. Nowadays, Everybody's talking about the quarterbacks. They're trying to do what Ron Jaworski does and evaluate the quarterbacks. Even guys like Booger McFarland and Jason Witten, they should be talking about line play, not quarterback play or running back play. And I think what Merlin used to do was explain things to the fans in ways that we had never seen before. And John Madden did it as well. So I don't want to take anything away from him, but Merlin did it the best. And the guy who does it the best now is Chris Spielman, and what does he do, the number six game on Fox every, yeah. every Sunday? Yeah. You don't see him that often. So the guys that are the best at it are not doing the big games.
1: Hey, John, thanks so much again. We'll have to run here, but you should be auditioning right. for those TV jobs. You do a great job with this. Thanks very much.
4: <laughs> Thank you for uh, your time.
1: You got it. That was NFL Story. John Turney up next. Can the Combine really be moving? Mindy, Ron, tell me no. <laughs> we'll find out. You're listening to the Talk Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, as you know, all
1: of us have covered the NFL Combine for years, and none of us, I mean, none, could imagine it being held anywhere else than where it's always held, and that's, of course, Indianapolis. Except, Except now, there's talk that the NFL wants to move it, just as it's moved the draft with Los Angeles mentioned as a possibility, and no, we don't like it. We don't, and our next guest doesn't either. He's Chris Gall, who's the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Visit Indy. You can find it on the web at visitindy.com. And Chris, thanks so much for joining us, and thanks for doing it on such short notice.
6: Well, Clark, Rick, Ron, big fans of of, of you guys, and and happy to always talk about Indianapolis and, and the NFL Scouting Combine, as you know, an event that our city has proudly hosted since 1987, and I'm actually. Our offices are located uh, right inside the Lucas Oil Stadium, so it's it's uh, it's an important event to us, and one that we're proud to have hosted for such a long period of time.
1: Oh, as well, he should be. And, and first things first, Chris, let's get right to it. I mean, the combines under contract in Indy through 2020, I think. But then what?
6: Well, that's a good question. You know, we've been in negotiations with the NFL for more than 18 months about extending its time on the ground here past 2020 as you mentioned that's as far out as we have them uh, we had um, a very good meeting with NFL officials on the ground during the combine here in Indianapolis 90 minutes spent talking just about the x's and o's of, of keeping the event here uh, we feel that we we were very compelling in our case of of, of why there's no better city than nation to host the event from a logistical and, and setup perspective, and, and we're hopefully optimistic that, that in the next month uh, we will hear uh, good news from the NFL, that they want to keep it in Indy, and, and we would be looking to uh, to extend another three, or, three to five years to, to give some, some, uh, some breadth to the event and to continue to grow specifically the public-facing component where fans can get up close. So uh, 30 days, hopefully we'll hear some good news.
1: Chris, give me your gut feeling. on this. How real I think is the possibility of it leaving?
6: Well, you know, I, 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 think, uh, I, I think it is. Um, there's, there's not lip, it, it's not lip service that the, uh, the NFL is, is, is being courted by other major cities, um, Dallas being one of them, uh, L.A. being one of them. We, we know that from not only media reports, but uh, from um, other delegations coming to Indianapolis during the combine to scout things out not the players, but rather the setup and the event. And uh, that's not unlike, uh, you know, Indianapolis bidding to host the NBA All-Star Game um, or the Super Bowl. You, you go on the road, you take a look, you kick the tires, you meet with executives. And so we know it's, it's, it's certainly a possibility. But again, when you look at the setup, and, and you gents know this, um, we have more hotel rooms connected via climate-controlled skywalk into our convention center, uh, into Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, when the stadium was built, uh, it was with NCAA men's basketball in mind, Colts football in mind, but also the combine. A lot of people don't know this, but there are 12 meeting rooms and two exhibit halls that were designed specifically to recreate The medical testing grounds that the NFL needs to poke and prod its players and uh, uh, do MRIs and and conduct other psychological examinations, that space was carved out and designed specifically for the combine. There's fiber optic cable laid during construction from Lucas Oil Stadium to our health provider, IU Health, so that MRIs can be read real-time and sent back to uh, doctors on the ground in the stadium. So uh, we were very thoughtful in, in putting together the pieces of the puzzle that is Indianapolis and in the package that the NFL's enjoyed.
2: Yeah, I remember the Super Bowl that you guys held, and I thought that was one of the better ones. Have you thought about putting in a zip line for the coaches directly from their <laughs> hotels <laughs> to
4: the? <laughs> That's
6: I love it. You know, we did. We, we closed three city blocks, four city blocks, and had that zip line running and sold out. Uh, I suppose we put some of the coaches on there. They, 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 they'd be up for it, and others might make better decisions uh, after, uh, after being scared. But um, that was a hit, and we were proud to host that game in 2012. Um, we, 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 we went for 2018 and were unsuccessful. We were edged out by the other Appleists, Minneapolis, but we'd be hungry to, to, to be in the hunt for that premier event again and, and it was fun to have it here in t- 2012 and really gave a shot of uh, civic pride to our residents who uh, are so used to having major sporting events here but uh, certainly when you have that caliber of event it's it's on another level.
1: It was a nice the, Took that zip line. Yeah. One of us bravely.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to the Those two guys those down two, down two guys were zip lining right down to the two you're talking to. <laughs>
6: Well, I tell you what, it, you had to step off, right? You, you know, it was, it was it was perched a couple hundred feet up, and you had to step off into the air. And uh, I'll never forget it. We had Gary Brackett, then our uh, uh, Pro Bowl uh, um, or Super Bowl winning uh, um, um, walk on uh, do it, and he was scared. I'm telling you what, he didn't want to step off uh, in, into space and, and and go ziplining. But yeah, it was a, it was a neat component to the Super Bowl, and and another neat component was the fact that. Our legacy project was not only just shovels and ground, it was completed by the time the NFL arrived here. And that's a new, that was a new track record for them, is, is that the, the, the positive footprint that the uh, host city puts in place is, is not only just shovel-ready, it's, it's finished. And, and we were proud to be the first to do that as well.
2: Chris, the Colts GM, Chris Bell, has argued passionately about the Combine in Indianapolis, saying he, saying he also understands the marketing aspect, but, quote, we can't lose sight of football. Hasn't that ship already sailed from the NFL office?
6: You know, that's a a great point. It's a great question. Uh, Two things I'd say is, is, is first and foremost, um, the Ursae family and Chris Ballard... Have been intimately involved with the city of indianapolis 's efforts to retain the, sc- the the scouting combine period, and what I mean by that is is regularly meeting regularly brainstorming and and providing advocacy for the city um, obviously, there are two components you know the coaches and, and and the staff they they want a real healthy look at each athlete. How, how do they perform on the field, in the interview room, and and, and, and who they are, and, and their chance to interview them. The NFL has an appetite to grow the, the, the public-facing component, where uh, from a marketing perspective, the fans can race into the city and, and get up close. This was the first year that you could see the bench press within 10 feet of the athletes and cheer them on. Uh, this was the second year that, uh, through a, an allotment of, of a lottery of sorts, five, to 6,000 fans could get inside Lucas Oil Stadium and, and hush their phones and hush their voices and actually watch the workouts. So this push and pull with uh, we want this to be closed and, 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 and a productive, quick, efficient workout and the pull with the NFL wanting it to be more marketable and and, and prime time and and, and, uh, fans getting close is is something that we're balancing and working uh, alongside the NFL. And and I think there's a healthy mix right now, but it'll be interesting to see the evolution of how many more people you want inside the stadium watching a 40-yard dash uh, when you're trying to keep quiet and and keep keep, uh, scouts scouting.
3: I read somewhere that the that the combine weekend is worth over eight million dollars to the uh, to the city and the businesses there. Uh, how much would uh, the loss of it affect those businesses, and how nervous are local merchants about that possibility?
6: Yeah, we've had a concerted effort in educating our tourism partners, specifically our hoteliers, that in February. Uh, as a cold weather destination, hanging on to the combine is paramount because it's hard to fill up the city with such a sizable event. And um, there is some angst. There's also some pride behind the fact that we've had the longevity and the proven track record of hosting the event and hosting generations of, of players and, and 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 owners into our famed steakhouses and hotel lobbies and, and bars and and uh, into the stadium. I would tell you it is an eight to ten million dollar weekend, which is very healthy for the month of February for a city like Indy. Moreover, the, the marketing exposure, if you're in the business of promoting a city, marketing a city, and you have 1,500 credentialed media like you three – talking about not only the X's and O's and, 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 the, and the players, but also your experience in the city. We've seen social media marketing and, and, and live video and radio and TV and blogs really uh, help enhance and, and, and drive the brand of Indianapolis as a sports-minded city. And that's a, a big boost in February when you when you have your city stamp approved by national media. Uh, that's invaluable marketing media exposure when you look at all the radio and TV folks lined up and. ESPN, the NFL Network, and and again shows like yours coming from from Indianapolis. That's that's a really big deal for us.
1: Hey, Chris, I've got a suggestion for you. Within the next month, invite the NFL decision-makers to town and take them to breakfast at Shapiro's. You'll get the combine for the next 10 years.
6: I'm glad you said that. The Shapiro family puts on an amazing breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they're one of those unique restaurants that's that's been around 100-plus years and just continues to churn out really good food. And I ate there last week for lunch, and you'd be surprised who you bump into In the sports world and the business community, from governors to to, to presidential candidates, from uh, athletes to IndyCar drivers, it's it's an interesting, fun, tasty restaurant. I'm glad you you agree.
3: (laughs) Plus, you can always go to Plum's Last Shot, Bobby Plum.
6: (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad you, I'm a Butler graduate, and so go. is Bobby Plump, <laughs> yeah. the guy that hit the shot that inspired the movie Hoosiers. And, and the breaded pork tenderloin there at Plump's last shot is amazing. And he still tends bar uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays there, uh, just north of the city. So you can shoot hoops with him. He's got a hoop around back, and he's still got a pretty good shot at nearly 88 years old. <laughs>
3: Oh, my that's, God. that's the best. This is the best. Is this a, is this another case of the NFL, you know, shopping things around? You know, they, they, they obviously have shopped the draft around. Uh, and, and it seems to me that the their theory is that every time they move to a new venue, it becomes a big celebration as opposed to uh, a, a 25-year tradition as it is in Indianapolis. Uh, how do you fight that end of it, their sort of argument that uh, it's a tradition but it's no longer a celebration?
6: Well, look, its uh, the event, the NFL Scouting Combine, has grown in stature and importance in the number of, uh, of eyeballs viewing this event. And so, therefore, cities and NFL ownership on, in uh, other cities grow hungry for that, to be a part of that, to have that shared exposure and, and shared celebration. When you get down to the mechanics of it, though, The reason why the NFL Scouting Combine exists is to put players through as you know, a rigorous amount of testing, psychological, physical, mental. Uh, and, 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 and again, when you look at the setup of our city, as it relates to flying in more than 300 players and getting them in and out of testing seamlessly uh, and back home safely, uh, the walkability and connectivity of Indianapolis is, is second to none. And so I think that's, that's at the heart of this and what we, we continue to, to talk to the NFL about is um, don't lose sight of, why the event exists and the benefit to to coaches and and the teams and that this is really about pulling off and executing an event seamlessly we can add public pieces to it and fan experiences to it as you wish to grow and and, and evolve it but at the end of the day it's about getting those players through and that's what the the teams need so um, we've we've safeguarded that event for all these years and know that other cities and other team owners are really hungry to take it away Uh, and, and hopefully we'll hear in the next month that we're successful in keeping it for a few more years but I would anticipate as the event grows so will the hunger of other cities.
1: Chris, thanks so much for the time, and best of luck keeping the combine. We hope it never leaves.
6: Yes, sir. Well, Clark, Rick, and Ron, I appreciate your time and your interest, and, and we'll hope to see you in Indy soon. We'll see you at Shapiro's. Exactly. All right. Thanks <laughs> well,
1: for palms. having me on. <laughs> 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 thanks, Chris. That was Chris Gall of Indy. Now, Up next, it's a two-minute drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: Okay, Robert, let's try this one last time. That's the two-minute warning. That's right, it's the two-minute drill again, so let's get going. Why, is Philip Rivers in no rush for a new contract?
2: Maybe he's tired of playing in a high school stadium and wants to move on.
3: He's tired. He's tired of that commute to L.A. every day. <laughs>
1: I would be, too. Why do the Bears have three kickers? Yeah, three on their roster.
2: Three tasks, three kickers. Field goals, extra points, kickoffs. <laughs> Simple as not, Gooseman. Three
3: feet equals one yard, which is all they needed to keep playing in the playoffs. <laughs> exactly
1: true or false? The friction between Fortnite's coach Kyle Shanahan and GM John Lynch true.
2: No head coach in the history of the NFL wants or thinks he needs a boss.
3: (laughs) The following is true. Kyle Shanahan is is his father's son. The following is true. His his father was the king of friction. (laughs) Marshawn Lynch, John Lynch,
2: Dick Lynch or Jerry Lynch? For all you Roadhouse fans, I'll go with Kelly Lynch. Ooh, that's excellent. Why didn't I think of that?
3: But I like Skittles so
2: I'll go beast mode. (laughs) (laughs)
1: J.J. <laughs> Watt makes a commencement speech this Saturday at the University of Wisconsin true. What will he tell graduates?
2: If you don't like a college after two years, transfer out. you will look out upon the crowd and he'll say,
1: ha, So this is what graduation's like. Sorry I didn't make mine. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Brady did make it. He made it to this week's Met Gallon, New York City. How come we weren't invited?
2: There's the three of us are on sports pages, not society pages. <laughs>
3: Three of us weren't invited, and neither was he. His wife
2: was invited. He was there carrying her bag.
1: Odell Beckham says he plans to show the Browns into, quote, the new Patriots, unquote. How?
2: Admit the mistake of firing Belichick and
3: rehire him. (laughs) By never speaking again and volunteering to play slot receiver for
2: a pay cut. Then he'll be a Patriot.
1: Ricky Incognito worked out for the Raiders this week, Ron. How did anyone know?
2: Better question. Did anyone care? (laughs) No one knew, because he went incognito.
1: <laughs> Detroit wants to host the NFL draft. What are the chances?
3: Good.
2: The city has hosted Super Bowls. Why not a draft? I'll go to their chances? Same
3: as the Bengals and the return of the Edsel.
1: Yeah, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will pick an unusual name for their baby boy, unifying the UK and USA. Any suggestions?
3: Alistair Tea Party. <laughs> Good one. How about this? Dead Redcoats.
1: That's the end of the game. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website. That would not be dead. Go to com or
4: follow us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week at this time and on the station. Thanks for listening.